Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 103, where in a moment we discuss defined benefit pensions with another guest. This time it's Colin Pennycook from Pension Income Planning. That's on the way, like I say, in just a sec. But please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows. Because in our programmes today, we featured loads of stuff, pensions, investing, wills and powers of attorney and loads more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. Last week, we chatted about the importance of reviewing your finances when you change job. Remember, we can drill down and focus on pretty much anything forensically. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or whatever you get your podcasts and you'll get us there. As I say, an enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis, and with me as always, the star of our show, Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you today? Good, thank you. Okay, so this week, another special guest, Colin Pennycook from Pension Income Planning. <laughs> We're going to chat defined benefit pensions in particular, but maybe we can start, Colin, with you telling us a bit about yourself and pension income planning, the business, what they do, what you do for them, and your overall background. Welcome to the show. Well, hello, John and Phil and listeners. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, I, I've been advising members on defined benefit schemes for over 30 years. That includes periods where I've been in administration, management or consultancy. I'm a fellow of the Pensions Management Institute, I have pension transfer specialist permissions from FCA and also authorised to give financial and investment advice. Pension income planning was set up to provide a specialist review service, mainly for members of defined benefit schemes for clients of professional introducers such as IFAs. I'm head of advice at the firm and the senior pension transfer specialist. Okay, now whenever we do a show on pensions, Phil always tells me that defined benefit pensions or final salary schemes are the sort of gold plate of pension schemes, which were adopted as standards in, in years gone by. But like a lot of other things, that they sort of gained less popularity over the years with employers, presumably uh, b- because they cost more. And as such, they're becoming rarer. Not so rare there isn't a business in dealing with them, though, obviously. Yeah, it's true that um, most schemes have closed to new members. A majority have ceased further accrual so so no more defined benefit and um, building up on top of what they already had but those benefits that have been promised to defined benefit scheme members in the past have to be honored okay we only offer advice to deferred members of such schemes so there'll be people that have left service or members of a scheme that's been closed to accrual and yeah they've, they've, they've reduced in their popularity amongst employers not so much amongst the members, but there are still, <laughs> according to the pensions regulators survey in March 21, there were still 4.93 million deferred members of DB schemes. Okay. Um, sorry, I was just going to go on and say, in my experience, the majority of DB scheme members don't understand the nature of their benefits promise as well as they should. And our service is designed to fully research a member's benefits, explain to them in plain English what they have and establish whether or not that benefit format meets with their retirement objectives. Now, for those who've never come across this before, let's start back at the beginning. You mentioned it in plain English, which is the sort of thing I like, Colin. What exactly is a defined benefit pension, and why were they so popular in the past, but not so much now? Uh, Well, I'll put it as simply as I can, because they can be very complicated. A defined benefit scheme is one where a member is promised an income in retirement, and that's usually based on their salary and length of service with that employer. 
they were popular with employers because they were an effective recruitment and retention tool where the benefit was deferred and the cost was subsidised by tax reliefs for the employer and the pension fund assets. Uh, they've become less popular with employers due to the higher cost of legislation, such as adding on compulsory increases through retirement and people just living longer than they were expected to when these schemes were set up. One of the questions I had, Colin, was what would you say the kind of pros and cons of the, the defined benefit pensions would be? Yeah, I mean, there's 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 lots and it can get complicated, but I'll give you the headline ones, if, if, if I may. In my experience, these are the most common ones. Most common pros are certainty. Um, you have a known level of income. You have an element of inflation protection. They do provide benefits for dependents and they're payable for life, which is why FCA think they're so important to retain. See, just now, Colin, inflation's quite high. And I think when someone gets paid the pension from a defined benefit scheme, that'll usually rise in line with inflation. But does that put pressure on the schemes to kind of have good, adequate funding to kind of cover the cost of that pensions going up? Yeah, the cost is, the cost of providing these benefits has gone up significantly mainly since Pensions Act in 1995, which said that from April 97, all the benefits that an employer previously promised their members now have to increase in line with, at the time, it was retail price inflation up to 5% cap. So that added on an enormous liability to future accrual. And that's what really started the ball rolling with schemes being starting to be closed. Yeah. Do you think there might be issues with some schemes meeting their obligations in the future, the, the way things are going? I think they were. I think lots of schemes are going through de-risking exercises. They're doing annuity buy-ins and buy-outs. And yeah, I, I think the trend is that most schemes are healthier. The holy grail is to get the funding level beyond 100% so you can buy everybody's benefits out through annuities, I think, is the end game, yeah. I guess from the client's point of view, one of the good things with a defined benefit pension is that there's no investment risk. To, to them, is it because they, they're not actually having to invest the money or choose what it's being invested? That's right. I mean, you know, most of your listeners are probably too young to have, to have either been in a DV scheme or, or have even heard of one. But um, the, 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 the main op, um, um, pension for, for the last 20 or 30 years has been what we call defined contribution. So that's just based on what goes in and how much it grows by and then ultimately what annuity it could buy on the market rates. Defined benefit has nothing to do with investments. The investment returns are the, um, are the, are the preserve of the trustees who need returns to subsidise the overall cost. But yeah, it's, it's not a concern for the member and that's what they like about the certainty yeah. of benefit. I know some, some of the schemes are, are kind of funded and they can offer people the, the opportunity to, to transfer or get a transfer value on their pension. Is that something that's worth considering for, for people who are offered that? Yeah, I, I, I've always said that, you know, if you're offered a free transfer value every year by law, then take it, even if you just file it and get the transfer value and have a look at it. I think more important, though, than, 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 than having a transfer value is, is gaining an understanding of how your pension works and whether it meets with your your retirement objectives you need to give those objectives and your retirement a lot more thought than some people have in my experience so only in cases where this doesn't meet with their objectives does it then follow that a transfer value might be useful to to investigate their options further 
So this is kind of what I was going to ask, Colin, is why you would want to get out of one of these schemes? Because, I mean, they sound fantastic, but we've had in the past queries from, from sort of adult offspring of folk who maybe have, say, five or six pensions over their lifetime, and they want to consolidate them into one for sake of ease because they know they're in the years where something can go wrong with health, for instance. Maybe they'll grow forgetful or they'll take ill suddenly. They, they want to make it as easy on themselves to remember, but also easier to clear up and look after in the event of their, their death. So they ask their kids to help them take on the burden of helping them do that. And the more savvy of those think, will we actually be doing mum or dad a disservice here by moving any of these pensions? But I guess it, it, it might end up being one reason why someone would want to transfer out of a, a defined benefit pension. What might some other reasons be? Um, yeah, commonly, I would say where, where, where someone has sufficient fixed income or certainty elsewhere, maybe another pension benefit, maybe maybe non-pension assets. They could have significant property and investments outside of the pension as well, meaning that the certainty of income is less important perhaps to that particular person. There are people with reduced life expectancy who, when you look at the annual pension and multiply it by the number of years they expect to live, might be, might be a, a small proportion of, of a transfer value that they have seen quoted as well. Mainly it's for people who want higher income in their earlier, more active years of retirement and knowing that they're going to need a reduction of that income, firstly, when state pension starts being paid and then later on in their passive retirement years as well. Others might just want the lump sum without having to take the income and pay the tax on it. And others might just want to engineer it so that it's tax efficient, for example, by phasing or taking their lump sum in stages, which you can't do through a DB scheme. One of the things I, I was going to ask, Colin, I'm right in saying you, you don't deal with clients like directly. The, the business that you deal with, it's through financial advisors passing their clients to yourself. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. We only deal with referrals from, from, from intermediaries and, and usually professional financial advisors because we're specialists in reviewing those defined benefits, which is where we add value. And, you know, vast majority of IFAs are are highly skilled at servicing clients, whether that's a pension or not. So we see that we add value where we need to, and then we can pass the client back for them to continue to add value to the client from there. What sort of pension valuations are, are you kind of advising on? I mean, I, I guess that we, we, we're finding, I'm, I'm getting a lot of inquiries from people that's maybe got smaller transfer values on their defined benefit scheme. We're, we're getting quite a lot of inquiries with, with things like that at the moment, but do you have like a minimum value that you would tend to advise on? And I know as well, I think I'm right in saying that if people have got a defined benefit pension that's worth over £30,000, I think they've got to consult the, the legislations there that they've got to take financial advice on that, is it? Yeah, there, there is a legal requirement that the, that the member has to prove that they've had advice for all transfer values over 30000 we, we provide a specialist review service and advice to all clients with safeguarded benefits, regardless of the amount of the benefit that they hold. So we can have that initial review without even knowing what a transfer value is. Yeah. So where we provide advice on, on whether to transfer or not, this is based on whether we believe that a transfer may be viable rather than the size of a transfer value. So um, it's not a straight answer, but I, I, I think yeah. if you had to have one, it was we don't have a minimum because yeah. we think it can be equally important in the bigger scheme of things, regardless of that yeah. transfer value. Yeah. What sort of process and what sort of fees would, would someone incorporate for you to be, be having a look at things? Yeah. Prior to October 2020, we used to be able to give advice in one meeting. It's been split into two meetings now. 
So all clients will go through a triage process before they're referred to us. And, and when they are, our advice process is in two stages. The, the abridged advice is, is the name of the first meeting. And that's purely to determine whether what you've got meets with your objectives. All of the services that we provide, including the admin and the meeting for abridged advice, cost the client £800 plus VAT. If we invite a client to a full advice meeting to see whether a transfer improves the position or not, then the fee for that particular meeting is 4200 plus 1% of the transfer value, which the client effectively underwrites themselves because that fee can't be contingent on whether the transfer is viable or not. Yeah. Okay, so, so we, would, we, would try and make, we would try and make sure that the client has a strong case before we invite them to a full advice meeting. Yeah. One thing I know about with pension income planning is that you've got what's called the, the gold standard for, for pension transfers. Can you tell our listeners just a wee bit more about what, what that means? Hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's a voluntary code of good practice for safeguarded and defined benefit transfer advice based around a set of principles. There's, there's nine principles. I'll, I won't bore you by reading them all out, but <laughs> financial advice firms can adopt and promote this standard by adhering to these principles so consumers can be more confident they're, being, they're dealing with a firm that's going to going beyond minimum requirements when giving financial advice and a personal recommendation as to whether to transfer their pension. It's all client orientated, really. Well, I just want to come back in and sort of uh, clarify a few points, because I imagine these days if someone was to offer you a defined benefit pension, you'd want to snap their hand up. But also there's that part of me which always says, hang on, if it sounds so good to be true, chances are. So I want to nail down specifics and just make sure if there are any drawbacks of any kind or any differences which would be considered inferior to any other kind of pension out there. So is there anything fundamentally different about retirement age with a defined benefit pension, for example? Yeah, I mean, they have proven to be the best places to accrue benefits. And the vast majority, they're probably the best place to take the benefits from. But people are more aware of retirement patterns now, and they give retirement a bit more thought. So when you look at some of these transfer values, and you talk to the client, you admit that, that there's no way you would have saved or invested that much money. So, so clearly the difference between a DB and a DC is that more money has gone into DBs to, to fund the promise. But uh, it would be really all about the client's objectives, John. You know, some people, majority like certainty and, and, and you know, know how much money is going to come in and that it will always come in. Others are prepared to trade that safety net with having more lifestyle in their early retirement years uh, primarily, which you can't do with a defined benefit format. The money keeps increasing in line with inflation regardless. It does keep going. What about income payments? They go up in line with inflation as well. Is that what you're saying there? Yeah. Post April 97, as I mentioned earlier, um, all uh, DB benefits had to start increasing with RPI up to 5%. They've reduced that a bit. They changed RPI to CPI. And for some periods of service, they've reduced it from five to two and a half as a limit. But yeah, there has been a compulsory level of increases through retirement for certain types of benefits from DB schemes, yeah. Well, one thing I was going to ask, Colin, usually when clients get their, their annual statements through, it'll give them an idea as to what sort of income they, they would get. And sometimes it'll mention the, the options for maybe a tax-free lump sum from their, their pension as well. With, with the, the, the final salary or defined benefits schemes, is tax-free cash usually available? And would it normally be a good idea for people to, to kind of convert part of that pension to take a tax-free lump sum? Yeah, it is. It's usually available. There, there can be exceptions. But purely from a tax perspective, taking the scheme tax-free lump sum can make sense. But 
This is at the expense of additional income, which, although taxable, can be increased for influence. So a careful assessment of the pros and cons required before a decision is made. It's important to, to note that some or all of the lump sum can be waived. It's not an all or nothing decision from a DB scheme. But taking the lump sum because it's tax free without any definite plan on how you're going to use it might end up meaning that stuff is left in the bank account and, and, and gets hammered by inflation over the years. So, so having, a, having a plan for it would help the, the person make the decision. Colin, I want to, to thank you for, for being a guest on today's show. We've covered quite a lot of ground and I imagine we've only just scratched the surface. So thank you for being an authority for us. I wonder if you could just tie everything up for us here in terms of a, a general reminder about the pros and cons of defined benefit pensions, whether you would ordinarily look to move them, how to get the best out of them, Anything which makes them distinct from, from other pension policies you need to bear in mind and, and how someone could source and utilise the benefit of the expertise offered by your company. Summarise all of that for me, if you could. OK, yeah, I mean, a defined benefit scheme provides certainty of income for life with some form of inflation protection, benefits for dependents. And that's why our regulator says that retaining these will be in most people's best interests. Those who believe that this premise doesn't apply to them should ask their advisor to refer them to pension income planning for a thorough assessment to identify whether their objectives can be met by keeping those or whether they should think about looking at the alternatives where they could possibly transfer that money to to see whether that improves the position for them. But in all cases, our main drive is to educate people, get them to understand their benefits more and get them to think about retirement a lot more than perhaps they have in the past. I think that sums it up really well, Colin. And and I, I was just going to add, I mean, you, you've covered there like some of the, the benefits of the DB pensions, things like the certainty, inflation, you don't have the same investment risk. And also I know that, that a lot of schemes, there'll often be sort of, some sort of provision for like survivors, for, for widows or a widower's pension paid out as well. So there's quite a lot of kind of benefits there. I, I guess on the, the other side, if someone does transfer it away, they will I mean, I'd say that there could also be kind of like, almost the inheritance advantages, but um, same as well, if people aren't in the best of health, if it's from, if they were to transfer it, then staying in the, the existing yeah, scheme. Yeah, I mean, some, some people look at transferring as creating effectively, if you like, a family trust. There'll be those that perhaps don't believe that they'll live long enough to benefit from the money. There'll be others that have so much wealth elsewhere that they, they probably won't spend it anyway. And the IHT benefits from having it there outweigh, say, the money in the ISA, so you'd spend the money from the ISA first, for example. Just one, one, yeah. one other question as well, Colin. If someone's worried about the sort of solvency of an employer, what sort of protections are in place for, for people there? Yeah, I mean, for, for a usual DB scheme, even though it might be closed to new members and further accrual, the employer has to keep paying in. The trustees submit a funding statement to the pensions regulator every year. And if the funding level gets too low, the pensions regulator will slap a debt on the sponsoring employer. But if posting that debt on their balance sheet causes an insolvency event, the scheme can be assessed for entry into the pension protection fund, which is not guaranteed because it's underwritten by a levy on all DB schemes. And we know their numbers are reducing, but it's a safety net of sorts. And it aims to, to cover about 90% of pre-normal retirement age benefits or 100% if they get to normal retirement age. And so on the face of it, it sounds, it sounds excellent. But the problem with this is that the PPF won't increase pre-97 benefits. 
and they will only increase post 97 pension at two and a half. So that's generally much less than the scheme would have done. So the headline loss of 10%, it's much more than that. But as I said, it, it's a safety net of sorts. Yeah. Now, Phil, we always do this bit in your show. You, you find inspiration, I know, through various people you admire and you love a quote. What have you got on the subject of today's show, Define Benefit Pensions? Retirement is not the end of the road. It is the beginning of the open highway. <laughs> like that Excellent. one. Is that attributable to someone or is it just one you No, I'm not sure. I did. I got that one off the internet, but it didn't have a name attached to uh. it, so... Someone out there will claim it, I'm sure. Could have been your own, Phil. Uh-huh. We always do this bit as well. Have you ever had an instance where you've experienced something connected to today's subject where you, you found your, your own learnings? Just a, a reminder today's subject again, defined benefit pensions. I've, I personally have never had a defined benefit pension scheme. I worked, I mean, years ago, it, they, they used to be very popular in financial services. The banks used to offer them. I had a job at the Clydesdale Bank for a very short period of time. But just when I started there, that was when they stopped the final salary scheme for new employees. So I've I've never had a DB pension myself. Um, I see it. We, we're getting, we, we still get a lot of inquiries for it in the office here. But one thing I, I don't know, we, a few years back, there was people coming in and their, their companies, especially some of the oil companies, were offering them pretty big transfer values and enhanced values to actually almost encourage them to move away from the scheme. But is that something you still see, Colin? Is, is that still happening these days? Yeah, I mean, it, it, they do differ. And you certainly, the healthier schemes tend to have the higher multiples. If the, the obvious temptation is for someone gets a transfer value and they divide the pension that they're going to get by the transfer value to work out how many years they've got to live to get their yeah. money back. And that's that's what most people say. So well, that's what we mean when we talk about higher multiples. Yeah, I mean, you know, Barclays, you know, some of the banks have, have high multiples. Some of the retail industry have low, if you want to cast a, a comparison to that. Yeah. But um, yeah, you get all kinds, all kinds of, of, of multiples, depending on not just the not just the funding level of the scheme, I suppose if there is a difference, how much are they going to increase it by? So you get some oil companies saying, we'll increase your pension in line of RPI without a cap. So the potential cost of that income stream is much more than if there was one. So so you can often see in the benefit structure that there is a higher value to be attached yeah. to it anyway. Now, Phil is uh, really keen on trying to help you with your queries. If ever you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask it anonymously if you prefer. Now, let's get on to this week's contact details in just a moment. I'll give it to you after these. Hi, Phil. We're reaching the stage where the real pinch is on in our house with the cost of living. And I wonder if the energy companies might do the same thing as the mortgage providers did during COVID and offer payment holidays for a few months. If not, do you agree with other experts who say, don't pay the energy companies at all. During COVID, it was something the energy companies didn't offer. I mean, you could get payment holidays on, on mortgages and some debts, but I think the fact that they didn't offer it previously, probably unlikely that they would do so now. And if someone is struggling, I would always encourage them to speak to their provider and see what they suggest and what help they, they can offer. But I would always advise people, if you can afford to pay you want to, to keep paying it because if you do miss payments, that can impact your, your credit rating. Okay. And next one up is uh, from Donna in Ochterada. She says, hi, Phil. Our eldest is due to go to university soon and it had been our intention to buy a small flat near to the campus for her to live in, which we'd sell on in time. But we're now at the point where we're wondering if we might actually be better off to put her somewhere like a premier inn. Because by the time you take into account the cost of energy, cancel tax, that starts to make the costs astronomical. 
you wouldn't have those to incur in a hotel, would you? Does that sound like a smart move? Or am yeah, I missing you know, something? Like, if you could get a hotel at a decent price, then it might be worth considering. I suppose in a hotel as well, you've no council tax to, to pay. Saying, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I suppose it's weighing up all the costs and seeing. I I was I stayed down in Dundee a few days ago. What a job getting a hotel! A lot of the hotels there were few, full of Ukrainian refugees. Wow. So um, I I drove about about three or four hotels before I could finally get a room for the night, which was incredible. But I suppose it all depends on the cost, does it? That's Absolutely. That's a thing, whether it's uh, weighing up or not. But it's crazy to think that someone would actually consider that. It's nuts, isn't it? Well, you know, you just never know. I mean, when you think the, the utilities, the way they're going, you know, the cost of energy, council tax, you never know, Phil. It might, yeah. it might actually might be worth working out. Um, I would just say as well, before you get in touch with the question, you should probably take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a fair few topics so far and we may have touched on what you're interested in. I'm John Ellis. Thank you once again to our guest expert, Colin Pennycook of Pension Income Planning for joining us for episode 103 of the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for Finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Or why not email Phil a question you can answer on a future show? His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question. Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured... As I say, we won't use your real name if that's how you prefer it. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us and please follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcast. That way you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. Thanks very much, John. And thanks thanks again for coming on, Colin. It's been great to have you on the, the show today. It's been my pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Really insight. It's a good show too. So so, thanks. so well done. Yeah, yeah.